been betrayed by someone who is close to you? It is a painful and yet all too common experience. Pastor Ed Taylor on how to handle it. Man, the best thing to do after you're betrayed is rise again, because that's what Jesus did. He was betrayed, crucified, buried, and then he rose again. And because he rose again, you and I are saved today. And how much ministry can flow through your life? And how much love can be shared? How much of an example of forgiveness that can come from you and me that we respond to these things in love, in charity, in mercy, and in grace? This is amazing grace. This is It's time once again for Abounding Grace, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today and tomorrow, we're going to wrap up Ed Taylor's mini-series on prayer, which is just part of our ongoing study in John's Gospel. Today, we join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll learn a few things as he's praying in the shadow of the cross. So if you're ready, let's dive right in. Take your Bibles, open them to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. This will be the last study in this sub-series on prayer that we've been doing. We have been studying verse by verse through the Gospel of John. We finished chapter 17 after a few studies. We went on to Matthew chapter 6 uh, as we looked at the model prayer. And now I want to give a brief walk through the prayer in the garden in Gethsemane by Jesus. And it's recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to use Matthew for our time together. It's very simple, and it will be an overview for us. But we want to learn a few things about prayer from this powerful prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But before we even get to the prayer, I want to point out to you that we're not going to just look at the few verses of the prayer, but we're going to go a little bit before and a little bit after. We're going to look at a day in the life of the disciples and Jesus, the day that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that evening. And the reason why I want to include a few things is because I want you to see that this prayer of Jesus is surrounded by everyday life. His prayer is surrounded by the mundane things in life, eating. We all eat every day. But it's also displayed in the dynamic of of Jesus speaking a word of wisdom to them and encouraging them. But it's it's also in the middle of regular life. It's in the middle of daily life. It's in the middle of just, that's what prayer is. Uh, We might misunderstand Jesus when he was teaching us in Matthew that we should always pray privately in a prayer closet. But no, the Bible teaches us that we should be always praying, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That we should pray without ceasing. Now that's not an instruction that every single word of our life should be a prayer. But the idea is that we should always be praying. That should just be part of our life. And not only that, but in Philippians chapter 4, we're instructed to be anxious for nothing, but in all things... With prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. So prayer should be our lives. 
I've heard it described as like breathing. We should be breathing in and out of our prayer lives, praying for this on the way to work and praying for this at lunch and praying for this when it just comes to mind, a little silent prayer in our cubicle, but really praying because Jesus, when he comes into the garden, he's praying in the middle of everyday life. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not every day in the life that, that, that is Jesus is going to face the cross. So he's got some crisis here. I mean, it's, it's not like every day that he's going to face the cross, but it is every day that he ate together, he hang out with the disciples, and today we see him praying in the shadow of the cross. It's just up ahead. Not only is it just up ahead, but the disciples, don't forget, we've looked at this in depth, almost repeated in every study in John 17, the disciples are about to experience the absolute worst day of their lives up to this point. There hasn't been a worse day emotionally, physically, spiritually in the life of the disciples than it was when Jesus was taken away, beaten, and crucified. Because exactly what Jesus predicts happened. They fled, and they ran away from him, and they left their friend in his deepest need. Not only that, they lost their friend, and they're grieving. They were taught that he was going to rise again, but they didn't really understand it. Even to the point after he did rise again, it took a little bit for them to grasp. He's alive. And he's preparing them and praying for them as we saw. So notice with me, Matthew 26. Let's pick up in verse 17, where it says, Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, my time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So here's a normal meal that they would celebrate, the Passover. A celebration would be once a year. They would celebrate God's deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, from bondage to freedom, from slavery to the will of God in the promised land, and they would commemorate it. So they needed to purchase and prepare for it. They needed to get some bitter herbs, some wine, some unleavened bread, the lamb, and then find a place in crowded Jerusalem to meet and to eat. Now, from the other Gospels, we learned that there was a particular person they were to look to that was carrying a water jug, which would be very unusual because it was normally the women that would be carrying the water jug. For a man to carry a water jug, he would stand out. So evidently, Jesus had things prepared for them. All they needed to do was walk in what he prepared. And he already considered this man, already pre-set it up for them, and they, all they needed to do was find him. Now, I thought that was interesting because that is the way our lives are. God goes before us, and we walk in what he's prepared for us. We are able to be led by his spirit, and we'll go where he wants us to go. We'll do what he wants us to do. But here, this, his, here Jesus has a friend, has somebody that he knows, and all you guys need to do is find him, and he'll set everything up for you. And we don't know his name. We don't know anything about him except that he was a worker, servant. He's carrying a water jug. But I thought, man, how grateful I am for all the unnamed and unseen men and women that serve the Lord in the body of Christ, especially in our own church. Just so much going on, so much that God is doing through your life. And we don't know, we don't hear it. We don't see it posted on the internet. We don't get, you know, letters about it. It's just you and the Lord but the ministry just flows so well. And God, he appreciates, I believe, your faithful service. Even so, it might be behind the scenes. So many of us get to 
benefit from your behind-the-scenes ministry. So thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. Now, notice verse 20. Now, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who has dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good that for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. Luke tells us that about this time the devil entered into Judas. And here he is as a betrayer. The focus often on Judas is that he betrayed Jesus. He gets the singular focus. And he did betray Jesus. And it was a great betrayal. Someone that Jesus walked with and taught and ate and hung out with and laughed. He's the one that betrayed. And that's what makes betrayal so painful. First of all, how many of, you in you, how many of you here today, maybe you guys on the radio or on the internet, you'll have to do it, but you just respond to me. How many of you have ever been betrayed? Yes or no? Just say it. Say it out loud. Yes, 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 yes. How many of you have been, we, we may not call it betrayed. We may call it, how many of you have been stabbed in the back? And they're like, oh man, so painful. And I would suggest to you that the deeper the pain reflects the deeper relationship of love that you had with them. Because a stranger can't really betray you. But someone that you trusted, someone that you loved, someone that you uh, considered a good friend, the pain of betrayal in a family, very painful, very painful. Even earlier in the earlier service, I had one of the folks come up to me after the service and speak to me about betrayal in her family that happened just yesterday. Just so painful, so hard. But there's another type of betrayal that Judas is involved here that goes another level. It's one thing to be stabbed in the back, but on occasion, I'm sure some of you could describe your life that you weren't stabbed in the back. You were actually stabbed in the front while the person was hugging you and kissing you on the cheek. That's what Jesus, Judas does later. He comes to him in the garden, says, hey, the guy I kiss on the cheek, the guy I say, oh, rabbi, I love you. That's the one. He's stabbed in the front. We had a pastor here not too long ago uh, pastor Bob Claycamp, he shared with us, he's our missionary in Exeter, he shared something, I think it was at the pastor's breakfast that he shared. It was very powerful. And I just want to share it with you in brief, in summary, uh, that he shared, because if you, so many of us can raise our, yes, I've been betrayed. It's so, it's so difficult. The, the ongoing issues of betrayal continue. The lack of trust, not wanting to get close anymore, anger, bitterness, all that stuff comes from a betrayal. And especially those that are so close to you, and the betrayal doesn't end. It continues on. They take it with them. Hey, listen, listen. This is what he said. He says, sometimes we have those knives in our backs, and we kind of keep them in our back as a trophy of what we've given up for the Lord. And he says, you need to learn how to take the knife out of your back, let the wound heal, place it at the cross, and walk away. I thought that was just such a sweet way. We don't want knives to be trophies. We want the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to be the trophy. We want his love and agape to be supreme in our lives. We don't want to keep bragging about the knives in our backs or in our front. We want to leave them at the cross. Jesus Christ died for them, and we want to get back to business. We want to get back to business. I was actually meditating on that this week as well, just thinking about betrayal. And I thought of this. I said, man, the best thing to do after you're betrayed is rise again, because that's what Jesus did. He was betrayed, crucified, buried, and then he rose again. And because he rose again, you and I are saved today. 
and how much ministry can flow through your life and how much love can be shared, how much of an example of forgiveness that can come from you and me that we respond to these things in love, in charity, in mercy, and in grace. Here he is at the table eating such an important meal and the betrayer's there. We think of the betrayal singular to Jesus, and it's true. But have you ever considered that Judas betrayed the other disciples too? His friends. Like they were all doing ministry together. They were all doing, they were all enjoying life together. And there he is. And sometimes it's just a painful way to live through life. Notice in verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the institution of what we know as communion. It started at the Passover meal. It started with that right in the shadow of the cross. You're going to remember my broken body and my blood forever forever as we did earlier verse 30 and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives so they went from jerusalem down into the mount of olives they would go down through a valley and it says jesus came to them and or jesus said to them all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night for it is written he, he quotes zechariah chapter 13 i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And you've got to love Peter here in verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. What a sweet heart he has. Sincere and genuine, I believe. I don't believe he's messing around here because we see the evidence of it later. I mean, he's serious. I'm not going to stumble. I'm with you, Jesus. I've set my whole life towards you. I'm confident. You know, he was a little more self-confident. And, and I, we're not told how he did this, but I, I can imagine how it might have been where he's standing there with Jesus and the rest of the disciples and he might say like this, all of them might stumble, but not me, Jesus. I'm not like them. I'm not like the betrayer. I'm not a betrayer. And what a contrast. The loyalty, the commitment the, the, the I will die with you and for you, Jesus, in Peter, upon the backdrop of, I'm going to sell you out for a couple dollars. That's what my relationship with you, I value it, just for a few pieces of silver. It's a very dramatic scene, very powerful. The music's going to change. If it was a movie, it's going to change to capture the essence of the emotion that's going on here. I think it was the way, the way that I was raised, for sure, that my dad was one of those guys that was reliable, he was dependable, he was committed, he was loyal. And I picked that up from my dad. And God only accentuated that when he captured my heart and I was born again. Those good things that were in me, loyalty, integrity, those things that were good, that were still there, God, he built them up. And so that's, I value that in my relationships. I value that of what I bring to the relationship, and I value that when it comes back. Peter's the kind of guy you would want to serve with. Peter's the kind of guy you'd want to go to war with. 
Peter's the kind of guy you would want to watch your back while you had to do something difficult. Peter's the kind of guy that you would want, I mean, because later on, what does Peter do in the garden? He takes out his sword. He wasn't just talking, man. He took out his sword, and, and there, he's going to take care of all the Roman guard, and all, he's going to take care of him, and he swipes the sword and misses the head and cuts the ear. Now, if you think about it, it's just hard to imagine how to do that. Swords are heavy, and if you just take a swipe, maybe the guy went down like this, and he didn't go down and just, whoom, cut the ear off. Now, that's a dramatic scene, because here's Peter in his integrity taking things into his own hands, thinking he's doing the right thing, doing it the wrong way. And his ear, like, you know, for an ear to get cut off, you're going to have blood just, whoom, out your ear. And then an ear is going to fall on the ground and be moving around. And Peter's going to go, I'll do it, I'll do it. He's like, put your sword away, man. I'm not here to cut ears off. I'm here to heal. I'm here. And so what does Jesus do? He, I mean, that must have been something else. He picks up the ear, no gloves, nothing. Picks up the ear and just, and it's all there. What a testimony that dude had. Hey, what's the scar? You won't believe it, man. My ear was on the ground. Because it's not on Instagram or anything. He can't pull out his phone and show him, like, my ear was on the ground. And, and let me show you, because we made an ear out of, you know, out of wax. And, and, and I don't know, maybe that, that, that healing from Jesus. See, Peter wanted to take him out. Jesus wanted to heal. And it could be, you know, a guy's not going to get saved by taking out the sword and cutting his head off. But a guy is going to get saved when you bring healing into their lives. Just such a beautiful picture. So Peter is a man of intent. We want to follow Peter. I know he said some things. I know he put his foot in his mouth. But which one of us haven't done that? Like you want to build up that part of your life where you're committed to the Lord, where you're committed to his word, where you're committed to his calling, and you're committed to his ministry, where the things of this world don't have a hold on you, even though it's constantly knocking, constantly wanting to take you out. Even though Peter gets a bad rap, that's a dude I, want to want, I would have wanted to serve with. I would have wanted to go to battle with him. I would have wanted to, to hang out. And, and yeah, we would have made mistakes together. But this brother, he means what he's talking about. Even to the point where he's telling Jesus, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm with you. Which he should have done both. He should have said, I care what the Bible says. But Lord, I don't want to deny you. And Jesus gets real personal. Notice, in verse 34, he says, Jesus answers and he says, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, Peter... Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So not only was he such a loyal man of integrity, he was also full of himself. And he was a leader. Because he, he must have exuded such confidence among the disciples that they all agreed with him. We're with Peter, man. We love you, Jesus. There's no way we could ever foresee us doing such a horrible thing and abandoning you on your most difficult night. And yet Jesus said it would be so. Then, Jesus. Now the ear situation happens after. So after this discussion to with Peter directly, Jesus comes with them to a place called Gethsemane. If you like to write in your Bible, circle the word Gethsemane and write next to it, Olive Press olive press. If you go with us to Israel, we will go to a place called the Nazareth Village as part of our tour, and they will go and take you into a real-life example of what it was like in the first century. And one of the places they'll show us is an olive press where they would take the olives, 
They would put them on this large stone table and, a, and roll with, a, with the help of a donkey. They would roll a large stone around them to squeeze as much oil out of the olive that they can. And they would do it once, and they would do it twice. And they, that's even today, you can buy olive oil by which press it came from. Uh, I forget which order it is, but one of the presses is more pure than the others. And not only that, that nothing, so that nothing was wasted, they would also put the pits on there, and in the sound of a pit being crushed under the weight of the stone, he comes in to Gethsemane, the olive press, where also visit Gethsemane. It's a big church that's so crowded, and there's some older olive trees that are there, and they're fenced off. And they're, they're really interesting to see. They're 1,000, 1,500 years old. They weren't there at the time of Christ, but they're very old. And you'll be able to see them, but that's not the entirety of the place. Most tours just do that big place by the church where it's crowded and loud and and you just walk through. After you walk through that and see whatever you want to see, we're going to take you across the street to a private garden. It's locked. We have to get somebody to open it up for us. We prepare it ahead of time. We rent it and we're in there with just a few other groups. And we'll do a little Bible study there and we'll do some worship in there. And one of the sweetest spots on the tour is we'll then release you into this private garden and you'll have some alone time with the Lord. Very quiet. It's so different from across the street. And I'll point that out to everyone while we're there. It's so different. So loud. The buses are honking. It's so crowded. You've got to watch all your stuff so you don't get pickpocketed. I mean, it, it's just like the life of Jesus. Jesus lived in real life. Like, there was crowded streets. And there were people pressing in on him. And everybody doing business. And they don't care about God. It's very similar. And he'll take you into that quiet garden with large walls. And although you can still hear some of the stuff, the noise level goes so down. And most everyone that goes with us say that is one of the highlights. And it's nothing, it's nothing but a private garden with a bunch of trees in it. But you get that personal time where you can share your heart with the Lord right in the area there of the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. Jesus comes into a private place. We know that he visits here often. This was a normal thing for him. And he tells the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So he leaves eight of the disciples by the gate. And then he takes, verse 37, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, which are Peter, James, and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Verse 38, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So his first prayer, he tells the, the three with him, would you stay here and watch? Which is another way of saying, pray. Watch and stay here and pray. I'm going to go pray. I want you to stay here and pray. Watch and pray. And notice that his emotions are inflamed here in, in Gethsemane. Jesus becomes, according to the word in verse 37, sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then from his own lips, talking to the Father, he says, I'm exceedingly sorrowful. If you're looking for the picture of a real man, if you're looking to identify as a real man and what the model of a real man is, Jesus Christ is the most perfect example in all that he did, both strong and meek, both confident and also emotional. It's very different than the message that's going through in our culture today, trying to mix up genders and trying to mix up identities and and the kids today don't even know their identity. They don't know where they come from unless their parents teach them. And now kids are being taught, just choose whatever identity you want. It doesn't really matter. And so those young men that are more emotional are being pushed more to a feminine side. But let me tell you something. God in human flesh, perfect man, was emotional. Exceedingly soft. 
Yes, even Jesus cried and was deeply emotional, so it's okay for us to do the same. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 360 quick answers to key questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 